0: It is the pregame show, folks, following a rollicking afternoon of trying to gouge a guest out of the entire nation of France. We will have more on that on the monologue in a moment. Oh, actually, now, because it's time to go live, KK. Welcome back.
1: Yeah, welcome back. I can't believe we took a whole week off. And we took then a whole the, week off. And the universe, like, basically is about to put us in lockdown again.
2: And That's like what re- happens you it's see. The only thing preventing
0: the only thing preventing the spread of the virus has been in lieu of fun. People think it's masks or the um but it's not. It's us. And we take a week off and a new variant erupts. You know. Uh now we've got this little problem which is that the blue go live button isn't turning blue. Um and I'm getting a little bit anxious about it at this point. I got to admit. Um, I'm cool. Oh, I think I know what may be the problem. Let me, let me try that again. Cause I think I may have fucked up the, uh, yeah, there it is. I forgot to put the codes in the code place, which is the first time in like a year that this has happened. <laughs> but, um, Now maybe the blue go live button will go blue. Come on, guys, you can do it. I know it. I believe in you. Mm. No. And more. No. Whoops okay we're having uh, uh, technical difficulties of a very like year and a half ago variety
1: really um, por- yeah por- por- the person who's joining us our friend from France is a uh, I hope he can see this and knows that this is happening
0: oh I'm sure he can see it he can okay. see it we just can't see him but I'm uh, uh this is uh concerning we got a
1: Oh, well, wow. we'll just have to put this episode up later.
0: We may have to do that. Hang on, we're going to give it one more chance. Um, uh, one more chance. The blue go live button. Sometimes just you disappoint me, blue go live button. And that always makes me sad.
1: Um. I have actually a lot of things from France behind me right
0: now all right um, well I guess the the uh, we're, we're gonna we're just gonna screw it go live all right um, and we're live it is Monday November 29th. 2021 5.03 p.m. I want to tell you all a story about international diplomacy, shirts and animals and national pride and how the entire nation of France screwed over in lieu of fun today. Um, It all started a few days ago on November 20th when I had a dream I had a dream, not that like you would talk about on the um, steps of the Lincoln Memorial, but I had a dream that somehow involved the word crocodile dictator. And I woke that morning not urge, with no urge to go to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and declare the contents of my dream, which I actually hadn't even really remembered all that well, except for the words crocodile dictators. But I did tweet that Crocodile Dictator was a good name for a band. And this provoked some discussion, which some of you had took part in about, I believe, uh, that Ducks with Pants was involved in the conversation. And uh, the result of the conversation was that I tweeted that I probably needed a crocodile shirt. And when I tweeted that I needed a crocodile shirt, I was, I admit, not thinking of the people of France. Because I don't actually associate crocodiles with France. They're not native to France. Um, but the French embassy, in the person of Aurélie Bonal, the distinguished uh, deputy ambassador, which is the French Uh, uh, a somewhat unusual French term for for the what everybody else calls the deputy chief of mission or DCM tweeted back at me that if I was going to get a crocodile shirt, it had to be a Lacoste shirt and had to be made in France. And I thought to myself, my first reaction was, wait a minute what are distinguished members of the diplomatic corps doing involving themselves in Animal Shirt Twitter. But then I thought to myself, this is game. I mean, this is, you know, the deputy chief of mission in the United States of the country of France, promoting French industry, promoting French products, associating branding with France. And, you know, at a time when French submarine contracts with the Australians are being stolen out from under their noses by us in secret backroom deals with the British, here they are selling shirt by shirt on Twitter. And that is fucking awesome. And so I ordered a Lacoste shirt at uh, uh, Deputy Ambassador Bonal's uh, choice. She suggested the shirt. And I promised that I was going to wear it on in lieu of fun when it came. And God damn it, it was going to be Bastille Day in November on in lieu of fun. And that was last week. And that was the high point of this international incident when everything was working well, all the countries were playing together nicely. But then as international n- negotiations tend to do, it kind of deteriorated because came around today, and I don't know whether there was like a memo from the Embassy of France to every French person in the world not to go on the show, but the list of French people who are <laughs> mysteriously not available at five o'clock tonight is uh, all of them. Uh, we've, we've actually checked with every single citizen of France, whether they were available to go on the show. And they all are not. You all helped. You all um, uh, uh, provided options. I followed up on almost all of those options. Um, And yet, at the end of the day, uh, I even had to make a threat. I threatened that if no French person was available, I was going to drink California wine, eat Vermont cheddar cheese, and bring on Eve Gaumont, who was going to be, who was going to speak with her most offensively Quebecois accent and represent the francophone world. So, nonetheless, nobody materialized. Uh, they called our bluff. And so we are not allowed to have fun anymore, and we're also not apparently allowed to have a French person.
1: Oh so, my God, Ben! There's, I'm, I'm really. What was your dream about again?
0: I have no idea. All I knew is that in the middle of the dream.
1: But what were the I, words?
0: Crocodile dictator. And I, I, I am. In I thought awe it was an of,
1: Lacoste alligator.
0: No, uh look the look the Lacoste symbol is a crocodile because uh uh Mr. Lacroix, Lacoste who was a uh, a great Was eaten French by a crocodile? Player. No, his nickname was the crocodile. So that's where the oh. symbol comes from. Oh. And I I love it because you know it is actually all, all jokes aside it is the most comfortable shirt I have a t-shirt I have ever owned and I am totally down with the the French product thing. Uh, So, uh, in lieu of fun, in lieu of an actual French person, we are bringing you an offensively fake French person. Um, And as soon as I can get his camera working,
1: he's coming. uh, It's happening.
0: Offensively fake French person. um, uh, Why is your camera not turning on? Can you turn on your camera? Mr offensively fake french person
1: I'm I can hear him
0: There's I can no hear th- him too um
1: but he's not showing up for me
0: Uh yeah this is uh, so you know a part of the old
2: <laughs> oh And we are going to
0: bring on we oops oh, now no. he's gone We are also going to bring on Eve Goumont to talk about um, the French national dish uh, and the uh, important food and language matters in France.
1: Um, can I can I just for like a moment? Thank you. Oh, Eve, hey, sorry. Oh, hello. <laughs> nice to see you. Another right. Um, we have. Um, so you're not you are not the person that we had in mind. But welcome to the show. Um, I. Like, everything almost on the shelf is, like, from brands. Um I have which this. He, which as is not. <laughs> yeah, which you're, wait, no, Shh, don't, like, don't ruin my dream here. Like she can be French. I heard once, once somebody in France told me that when they hear the Quebecois speaking French, that it sounds like a teddy bear talking. In <laughs> that, was, that was what I was like, what does it sound like? And they're like kind of like a teddy bear speaking. Oh, know? wow. So well,
2: like, it's super kind. It's not normally the way they described it. Like it's more oh, often okay. like old uh, peasant style. Uh, no, that's not Teddy. Teddy bear is the first time I, I hear that. But, but yeah, and... go ahead. Charles, oh <laughs> sacré bleu! I am here. Oh my god!
1: Oh
0: my god! How Hello, you, Paul.
1: How do you still have friends, Ben? <laughs> 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 Je n'ai
3: avait pas de friends. Je n'ai pas pas de français. Comment allez-vous, mes amis?
0: <laughs> so, so, c'est, Paul, c'est, um,
1: come out. How does how does
0: it feel, Paul? to be um, the formal representative of the entire nation of France. I feel
3: sorry for France. (laughs) They are in such trouble tonight. If I am the best that they can do,
2: they (laughs) are
3: in really deep, deep kimchi, which is Korean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, well, Paul, Sorry. it's really nice to see you. I don't, you don't have to keep this accent up the entire time. In fact, I beg you not. <laughs> <laughs>
3: because I cannot. <laughs>
1: but there you go. But, oh my God. This is great. I love a good commitment to the bit. I oh, find yeah. such, I think it's a great, I have like, a, a cheers to your commitment to the bit with, uh, with my not French you like the mustache?
3: Lighter. and then uh, You got it's this puffy
1: uh, little French thingy going on here with That's, the beard. And... Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah. It is really good. I mean, I'm very impressed. Uh, Ev, what do you think? Does it sound – I kind of – I have this when I was in France. I've talked about this cheese. for a couple of months. People um, – I'm also opening my blue cheese. Uh, people were talking about uh, – Again, they explained to me the accent, but then they did the American accent to me. And it is almost uniformly um, like a California Valley girl accent. Um, like that is overwhelmingly what Americans apparently sound like. Um, can you do a French accent or an American accent?
2: If, uh, if I'm trying to, uh, to mimic your accent? No, I can't. No, I definitely really? can't, no.
1: Oh, interesting. We should have. Remember, who is great at that is Lenny. She. We should have her back. Oh home. yeah. Oh.
0: Let, I, I mean, that was a that was amazing. I. No,
1: um, she's amazing. <laughs> she. She. Have you Have you seen her? She's the um. She's the Scots word of the day, but she's like just a uh, uh, in college at, at um St Andrews in Scotland, and she's from Scotland, and she studies language and Scots, and is amazing at all languages and accents and like she'll speak in the thickest kind of like you can't, it's almost indiscernible Scots as English and then she'll like, she can switch and talk in Southern American or like LA I don't know, it just is very good. Anyways Paul, it's nice to have you. Hi great. I,
3: Hey, it's great to be here, thank you I, I want to tell you about the French wine I'm drinking. Oh yeah Because it LA. is actually an excellent story uh, can you can you read the label on mine? It looks backwards. No, no it's,
1: it's good. good. I can read
2: it.
3: Hospice okay. says de bois. No, Hospice, Hospice de Bon. The oh, Hospice sorry. de Bon is a charitable hospital in the city of Bon, France, that has been there since the Crusades, basically. And every year, the vintners around there um, give the hospital uh, an allocation of their grapes. And the hospital auctions the grapes off um, by, the, uh, by the cask, hmm. which is about 36 cases, uh, a- as a charitable thing. And I have a friend, Tim, whose wife is from Bone, so he goes every year. He buys us a cask, and 36 of us each get a case. So I got this bottle of 2012 Volnais, hmm. you know, probably in 2014, and it's been sitting in my cellar, and it seemed like a good day to drink French wine. and celebrate the nice
0: stuff. Yeah. It is indeed. So, um, Ev, since there is nobody actually from France to uh, correct you here, uh, what part of uh, uh, Quebecer culture do you want to uh, uh, claim actually represents true French culture and have them, uh, you know, when they see this, be kind of appalled?
2: Je peux me permettre de parler un peu en français, m'assurer que personne comprenne, mais que tout le monde s'imagine que c'est la manière dont les Français parlent. So I just decided that uh, you will... Uh, those, for those people who have never heard of Fran- uh, Québécois. I actually
1: got most of that.
2: Yeah, good. Kind <laughs> of. So I, I'm just promoting... I'm just uh, kind of promoting the, the, the Québécois accent and trying to make people, American people, think that this is how French sounds and it will feel horrendous to uh, French people because they don't like the accent. So yeah, all of you think that is- What's the
0: analogy for us? You know, a a form of uh, English that just sounds wrong and, uh, you know, archaic and bad to us that is analogous to the, to the way uh, Quebecois sounds to the to to Parisians.
2: Well, we were discuss- we were talking earlier about land, um, bear- and I think that it might be something similar. Um, it might be s- uh, quite similar. The fact that you guys don't seem to understand so well what she's saying, and French people do not seem to understand very well what we are saying, even though. It's much more like a thing that they're new, not doing any effort to understand um, more than but it's this truly is also difficult. True.
1: But this is true. Like when I went to Mar- when I go to Martinique, or I go to like uh, Louisiana or like Creole, like the Haitian French, the Caribbean French, the um, it just has like a it has a sound that when I was in Martinique, I like almost could not discern at all what people were saying to me. Like it was they had to say it like 10 times and it was kind of almost like the version of French. It was like a flawless, very fast version of French, but how I would speak it if I was like pronouncing things as my French teacher told me not to pronounce them (laughs) 15 times. Like, yeah. Eve, your, your French
3: reminded me the most of the French that I hear in New Orleans.
2: Yeah, probably. Yeah.
3: I mean, to the extent that I have any good ear at all, which is not, I'm much better at discerning Spanish accents, but to the extent that I I hear it at all, it sounded like...
2: Yeah, it's kind of similar from people from Louisiana uh, who are actually Acadians who came all from the same region and when Mm -hmm. the British came out, they just, like, deport them to Louisiana. So, uh, the Cajun accent, which is close to Quebecois, which is close to... all of, It's kind of similar. It's did they just
1: go down the Mississippi? Is that like how they basically left? Yeah. Or they were deported? Okay, so that makes sense. Why they ended up but, all the way at the bottom. But help me out
0: with this. So when you when you talk to Parisian, you know, sort of high French culture people. Yeah. They describe oh. Quebec French as Partly as an archaic thing. It's like, they'll say it's like old French. Yes, it's not true. It's not true. So so what, what do they mean by that? And what is the reality?
2: Like this idea comes from the fact that they think that the French language has not evolved. And like, it's the history mingles with all of this story. And the, it's, it's just pure... Invention of their mind uh, The first French people that came here didn't sound like we are sounding now Our language has evolved. Their language has evolved um, And Yeah, but They like to think that we uh, We just like have frozen time. Yeah, that's out of the way didn't they like to see it It's not true. It has been proven many times that it's not true that our evolution is, and like, what, what, when you,
0: when people study French in in Canadian schools, when, you know, Anglo-Canadians yeah. study French, what French are they studying?
2: It really be- depends. Uh, depends who the teacher is. Uh, there's not so many teachers from Quebec actually going in the rest of Canada to teach French, so... But when it's the case, they learn Quebec French. And when it's people from France, well, they learn French French. But to be honest, their French is, their their French class kind of suck, And they are able to, to say a few words, but not much more than that. Yeah, all so, the Anglo
0: Canadians I know, uh, a huge number of them claim to be bilingual, but don't actually speak French. Whereas all the French Canadians I know speak English,
2: we we don't have choice. Like, we we don't we have to read in English. We have to do everything in English, as opposed to them, where, like, they can perfectly live in only one uh, language. And like to be hired by Canadian government, of course you have to be bilingual in theory, but the test is very different. um, In one like the bilingual, bilingual test for an Anglo guy is no. So yeah, the French test for someone speaking English is way easier than the opposite opposite.
1: Yeah,
2: which is fair. Uh, but, uh, you have a most interesting guest. I, so I will lay, let the floor to you.
3: Yeah, no, please stay along.
1: <laughs> so, um, do you want to see? Hold on, oh. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you all of the things that I got when I was in France because I did this. That you would actually, Paul, you would like love this. Actually, Ben, I know you would love this. I went to all the Marchés, like the Puisse, like the flea markets in France when I was there in the south of France, and I would like collect all of these little French things. So I like made a point of like getting like all of the different size like these um, open L so you're knives. Now armed. Yeah, and then um, see I this is
0: Kate exercising her for her second amendment rights
1: yeah they're much less violent than everybody else's second amendment rights and then like these these little corkscrew pocket knives like well but the um i was walking in one of the things and my friend found this which has to be the best find ever this is called (laughs) baby it's um it's baby squirrel and it's an entire book about a girl who finds and adopts a little red baby squirrel, which I can't thing.
0: imagine why that appealed to you. Kate.
1: Yeah, it was something that happened to me. And it's just, it's just so cute. Look at that little cute squirrel family. I mean, come on. Anyway, so that's that was my. Uh, this is I have like, ton, I don't know. That is like I would highly recommend that as a way to see a new country, by the way, yeah, uh, just
0: going through the children's books.
1: No the, go, the I mean flea flea that is actually true. but going to the little markets, like I mean like the the really old stuff, it makes you have so much perspective about how like every there's there's Roman like artifacts in like French in like Parisian like markets. It's crazy. Um, yeah.
0: So Paul, so. are you um, um, uh, uh, getting a lot of opportunity to practice uh, your French in Costa Rica?
3: Not so much. I speak Spanish, actually, pretty well at this point. I mean, not like a native, but I can get along. My goal is actually to be able to understand the the upcoming Costa Rican presidential election in Spanish. Oh,
1: uh, interesting. Which
3: which I I really can't. I I mean, I can order at a restaurant. I can go to the uh, gas station. I got much of that, but I'm still not... Tracking when they talk economic policy or you know, tax policy. I, I mean, and I would like to, because because it's important and uh, and uh, their their next election is in April of the uh, uh or May of the coming year. So I want to and so
0: what what are the major political divisions in Costa Rica? Well, Costa- and I just want to point out to to Deputy Ambassador Bonal that. This show was really supposed to be about France, but uh, it's going to evolve in a kind of Costa Rican direction because of uh, the embassy. Uh, you know, just did not come through on its side of the deal. So,
3: uh, so and Ambassador Bonal, you blew it. Um,
0: so, <laughs> so, so, so Costa Rica. Like what, what are the major it, political divisions?
3: Well, it's a multi-party um, parliamentary system with a direct presidential election which actually, all love to my favorite country, doesn't work that well because the elected president never actually has a working majority in parliament. Um, the major parties in Costa Rica span from what you and I would consider near communist left, ex communist left, to um, a center-right-ish, libertarian-ish, businessy kind of party. There's a uh, uh, an evangelical Christian party as well that's kind of not on the same spectrum. So we've got um, a communist party, two really pretty competitive center-left parties. And when you say a communist
0: party, do you mean like an authoritarian Marxist-Leninist party, or do you no, mean I, well, a left-socialist left
3: party? Very left, Very more than socialist, more like government should run the uh, factors of production sort of hmm. thing. Uh they are a minor party. Uh, the, the three major parties are uh, two center-left parties and a centrist kind of Christian Democratic Party, which reminds me a lot of the way the Christian Democrats used to be in Europe, where they're not really that left or that right. They're just kind of for good governance. Um, the three major parties have been losing a lot of vote share, for the same reason that major parties have been losing vote share in Europe in the last few years, it's really hard to get stuff done. Um, the last in the last election uh, for president, a uh, an evangelical uh, snuck into the runoff, and that was quite interesting. The um, Costa Rica is a Catholic country, hmm. and uh, uh, Catholicism is the official religion of the country, and the Uh, I'm I'm going to get the name wrong, but the Central American Court of Human Rights issued an opinion just before the election demanding that Costa Rica and other countries in in Central America recognize marriage rights uh, for gay and lesbian citizens. And that was quite a, um, uh, a sea change. And there was this upswelling of resistance in hmm. Costa Rica, mostly traditionally based. I mean, Costa Rica had actually already met the law and was allowing uh, gay marriage, but uh, but that drove the evangelical kind of into the runoff. He did not win the center-left. Uh, Carlos Alvarado won, and he's been the president for last years. So they they re- do not allow um, a re-election, one term only. Right. so it's like mexico yeah so it will be um it'll be an interesting election and uh I, like i said my real interest isn't in having enough spanish to be able to under understand what's happening to me what the tax policy is whether they're going to change the rules for residences residents i like it uh, i like speaking spanish i wish i spoke french well sorry eve sorry ambassador bonal
1: that's um i'm so i i kind of want to I was actually wondering, um, I was actually wondering, Ben, like, why you decided it was Bastille Day, besides for the fact that it was like the French Independence Day. Like, is that the only French holiday you know?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure I can identify any other n- holidays associated with French nationalism. Um, but assuming that I was going to wear this shirt, you know, and that, uh, we were going to have, um, uh, you know, a, a plethora of French, real French people, not like Paul. Uh, I, I just played at Bastille day in November. And, uh, you know, sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves.
1: Um, I think that while we have Paul here, we should get his feedback on what he thinks we should, uh, like how i might like actually we, there's been some news that's happened in the last week that we've been off. Paul, I don't know if you know this, but we took off last week for Thanksgiving, which is I think our first week off ever. Wow. Uh, since we've done the show, which is kind of crazy. But like now we're back, and in the meantime, one of the reasons, like in lieu of sh- in lieu of fun, was every single day was we were all in lockdown, and so people. Like we're very available to just come on and shoot the shit with us and like talk about whatever. But now in like, and that was starting to wane. It's getting harder and harder to find guests at the last minute because people have actual lives and plans and yeah,
0: French guests.
1: At, <laughs> which is weird because France is like they're so really
0: dark. It's, they're right really hard to find now
1: on the, the on my guests. on my on my map. But there's like, anyways. But I was gonna say that we like. I'm kind of trying to figure out whether or not. um we should start a season two for the
0: present
1: new. For, for a, well, we're
0: already in season three on the podcast. So I declared that every 250 episodes, it's a new season.
1: That seems right. Um, <laughs> Wait, really? That's funny. Yeah. Okay.
0: So we're in season three so, after we went to 500.
1: But I'm really curious. Like, what do you are like... You excited yeah.
0: about Omicron?
1: Yeah, right. No, I feel like people started like, I mean, not excited about it, but people started to be, I just don't know anything. I haven't been, I don't know. I'm reading everything. I'm reading I I was. I there. was
3: in New York last weekend. I went oh. up. I went to the Metropolitan, the Museum of Modern Art. I had dinner out indoors in a restaurant uh, with my nieces. And then we went to hear Joshua Bell. Play Beethoven's Violin Concerto at the New York Philharmonic. That
1: sounds. It, How was it was.
3: It was. Oh, he was absurd. I mean, <laughs> it was. He's pretty great. He is. I, I mean, I'll tell you all about that. But but the thing about it that really deals with your direct question, I'm happy to talk I'm about. I'm listening. This Mel, I
1: just have to go grab you know, something out of the oven.
3: Yeah, is that it was, like being normal. Uh, you know, they asked everybody for a vaccine card when we came in. Um. People in the theater and in the museum were wearing masks, but obviously not in the um, uh, restaurant. And it, it, I almost overdosed. You know, we were there only 36 hours, and we were doing all this stuff, and and it was too much, actually. But, um, and that was before, I mean, Omicron came out like on Friday, and we'd already planned this. And so now I'm thinking that this is my first and last gasp of normality I hope that's not the case the the reality is I mean here's the reality we just don't know it's too early um, you know I, I read one report out of Israel today that suggested that omicron was highly more transmissible but a lot less uh, virulent and, well, and and that would be that's perfect the nat- that would that's be, the that- nat-
0: but that's actually the natural progression from an evolutionary perspective of viruses, right? Yes. Like, if you like, they get the optimal position for a virus is to be incredibly easy to transmit, to last a fair bit of time in a person so that they transmit it a lot, but not to kill the person because once you kill the person, you're not transmitting anymore. And so, viruses do tend to evolve toward. Lesser lethality and virulence and greater transmissibility, hence we really, the common I mean, cold. That would
3: be ideal if it could. But we really just don't have any data. I mean, there are three things. It's transmissibility, it's lethality, and it's uh, ability to avoid vaccines and right. and, and and antibodies. I
1: and haven't we, seen anything on that last one. Have another, you? Like, there, there's okay. a
3: suggestion that the mutations are of the sort that look like what some doctors think would be vaccinable avoidance um there's a suggestion out of israel that it's not lethal there's a strong suggestion out of south africa that it is highly transmissible that's just i mean you know we have i i I think it's going to be wait and see the the really good news or such as it is um uh, uh, uh as steve puts it in the chat the the next mutation could be more severe and then we're transmissible with a bad mutation is even worse but the the only good news i've seen about this is that pfizer says you know you give us the four the the analysis and we can yeah, have it a, takes
0: 100 days
3: yeah and and you know in, in my love that too that was amazing I've, i i've come to i've come to like that i mean mike is right we don't have enough data to say any of this we're all speculating but of course mike we're not gonna michael we're just not gonna skip speculating because you know i don't know about you but as a what I'm really worried about is—is is frankly, um, the breaking of human spirit. I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of politics and silliness in anti-vax mandates and anti-mask mandates, but there's a significant fraction of that—that that is the we just can't keep doing this. No matter how much we have to, we just can't keep doing this. Um, and 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 you know. I can't tell you how how liberating it was on Saturday to sit in the New York Philharmonic in a completely filled theater with everybody wearing masks, except like Joshua Bell was not. Um, but you know most of the other musicians were, not all of them, but most of them. But everybody in the room had shown a vaccine card, and I was doing something that I hadn't done in two years. Uh, my la- the last time I went to the Philharmonic was in November or December 19. I forget. And and that's a part of what makes my life special. Uh, you know, For others, it's going out to restaurants or whatever. I mean, whatever floats your boat is what floats your boat. But the enemy and isolation of the last two years has been very hard. And to have it offered back last weekend, if it gets taken again, I'm going to be really unhappy. I will so end I, I with one good note. I want to be-
0: ask you about the politics of that.
3: Okay, before I do, I want to end with one good note, which is that yesterday, for I believe it is the first day since March of 2020, there were zero COVID deaths in New York City. And that was because that is likely because they really do enforce the vaccine as a condition of participation it's not a mandate but if you want to go into every restaurant i went into it was like show me your card okay here's my card great you can come in uh and that drives behavior and zero deaths is a i mean that was good that was really good you want to ask a political question yeah so i
0: well i want to ask you a political question about all of this because it seems to me that first of all like we are near I don't know how many deaths there are in D.C. now, but we're approaching a prevalence in D.C. where it's just not a fact, need not be a factor in your day to day life. If you're fully vaccinated, you can, uh, um, you know, you want to take reasonable precautions. But come on, um, the case prevalence is quite low. On the other hand, if you're in Michigan, particularly in parts of Michigan or Minnesota where there are a large number of unvaccinated people, the virus is ripping through communities in a very, very ugly fashion. Um, so I guess my first question is um, in a world in which the in which federal policy can only do so much and Northern Michigan is going to be northern Michigan, and the Detroit suburbs are going to be the Detroit suburbs. And Minneapolis is going to be really different from some of the rural communities 30 miles from Minneapolis. Um, how, how, do you, how do you think about policy um, where the aggregate goal has to be minimal death? Right, minimal, and then secondly, I'm just going to pile on a, a bunch of questions, a couple of questions, and then kind of let you vamp on it. Um, in a world in which there's this, as you describe, sort of human morale ups and downs. You go to the Philharmonic one day, and then Omicron happens the next day. How do you think about that if you're the Biden administration, right? And you've got to face a midterm in a year. Uh, And then, and you're, you know, you've already taken a real hit in popularity because of Delta. Like, what do you do to responsibly govern while also transmitting the idea to people that, hey, there are going to be these ups and downs. And, you know, we're not going to be the people who lie to you that this thing's over before it really is?
3: It's a fascinatingly difficult problem. We actually modeled this in pandemic planning at DHS with one of the first avian During the Bush flu. administration. During the Bush administration uh, with, with one of the first avian flus. And um, broadly speaking, broadly speaking, the biggest challenges were in communication. Uh, and that was at a time when we could never have imman- imagined that some of the communication would have to counter affirmative disinformation and misinformation whether from a political party for political reasons or from the Russians or whatever We were just dealing with the fact that we understood that many Americans um, simply don't understand uh, health you know public health, Paradigms, uh, And the answer then, which is I think the answer now, uh, is that the best way to communicate is through trusted interlocutors. If you want to communicate to the African-American community in southeast D.C., you go into the churches. Maybe you go into the churches in northwest Minnes- uh, Minnesota as well. Uh, yeah, I just don't know the cultures very well. If you want to communicate in the inner cities, uh, maybe you, you talk to the gang leaders. We we even had a plan where we were going to like give amnesty to gang leaders who helped us uh, get vaccine to, to people in their community. We, we talked about stuff like that because it was that important. So the real, from my deeply sad perspective, the real problem of the last two years is that some percentage, some significant percentage of those trusted leaders have chosen, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm being descriptive, not I'm being judgmental too, but mostly descriptive, have chosen to not be purveyors of truthful information. And the only, I mean... There's only two possibilities to fight that that I can conceive of. The one is to respond with truthful information and hope that the the Brandeisian paradigm that truth wins out is true, remains empirically true. I'm not sure about that, honestly, uh, anymore, but that's it. Or uh, you know, go semi-authoritarian for a good cause and compel people punish misinformation force people with mandates force people with vaccines that is we we didn't think that mandates were going to be great even you know in the Bush administration for the same reason that we knew it that it's not working now not with the political overtone but Americans just don't have a good Reaction to being told what to do. Uh, that's why we've had tax resistors for you know, 100 years and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, all of those problems compounded by the foolishness, I will say that, the foolishness of some of our leadership, Republican leadership in particular, um, in the last year has just made this impossible to do
1: i i think that that is entirely right i will pull back a little bit and say that what ben kind of hit on just now which is the idea that um the idea that like as a policy matter how do you enforce things when only a like it is mostly just that you will get very sick and a small percentage will die. And particularly a minority percentage that are like the most at risk type of people, like like people who are immunocompromised or children who can't get vaccinated yet. Um, and so there, there's like, I mean, that's like just like such a hard sell. I remember looking very closely through the data a couple of months ago at, uh, at the rate that the, like, the rates of death or like kind of any type of long-term harm as far as we could tell in children um, to, and no one, let me tell you how fast you can isolate your friends. If you even like mention that there's like, that maybe like kids are oh, better than most at like kind of getting through the current. And I'm not saying that this was like, and not like saying I even believe that, but I'm just like, even to have the conversation around it.
3: So, I, so-
1: I don't know. I think that like your point about kind of like, Americans are not particularly good at this and like this and I'm also in the midst of like as as this audience knows rereading John Stuart Mill and kind of like going back through and like a lot of like kind of looking at a lot of the genesis around freedom of expression theory and first amendment theory um and like literally mis and disinformation existed, not in the type of virulent form, but it's always existed. But it's, like, it's not even just that it's always existed. It's been quite bad, like it has been terrible. And in small communities, it's particularly powerful because like one leader is, as you said, like the entire kingmaker of like that entire community and like if he decides or she decides not to kind of endorse some type of policy, then you—it it is deadly. And so, I I mean, there seems to me, I'm not, this is not to say that old wine and new bottles to go back to kind of the French theme here, but like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm actually kind of saying, I do think this is different, but there is still kind of this, there is this ability that like, I just, I can't deny that I look back at the first couple of months at COVID and I'm like, there was no certainty and there was so much disinformation and it was the best that we possibly thought that there was in terms of information It was coming from government. Like there were just things that were false, scientifically false that we later found out to be true. But that cycle of process is what happens. I think that when you and I and everyone else is talking about this, you're talking about levels of intentionality about people who decide that autonomy is more important than the public good. And that they're going to. Lo- there's an intentionality of like the self above all else, and there's an intentionality of like being a troll and wanting to sow disinformation because for like disinformation's sake and being an asshole. But like, do you we really think that there like that there's that much certainty out there yet? Uh,
3: you know, it's it's. I I don't think there's a lot of certainty as our discussion of Omicron tells us. Um, Your comments actually make me want to even broader than the lens a little more, which is to say it this way. I think that there's always been misinformation, disinformation, trolling people with bad intent. Uh, I think that what kept it all in check more or less successfully for the last 250 years was the existence of all sorts of mediating institutions that were intended to um, uh, calm the waters? If you were a you know anti-vax troll and you went into the bar and spewed your anti-vax stuff about polio, the guy on the next stool would say, oh, you're a crazy jack," and the person on the other side of him would say, "You're you're nuts." And the social constructs that are, yeah. to be sure, rigidly confining, because they also, you know, they also, you know, shut down all sorts of creativity and change. Sure, but, they,
1: but like, but like, yeah, but the social, the social shaming mechanism. churches, the, 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 like, churches,
3: uh, churches, uh, but also our political institutions were mediating. I mean, everything from uh, nominating conventions to. Uh, an unelected Senate to the Electoral College were broadly intended to, to let the waters s- slow down. Where we are right now is that between the combination of social media, twenty-four hour news cycle, gerrymandering, uh, and you know direct and, and things like direct elections, we no longer have filters. We now have senators like Ted Cruz. Who basically act like congressmen, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, with almost not a dime's worth of difference. They think that being a senator is owning the libs, and yo, the problem is. But we had McCarthy. Like there are yes, but but the other but the other senators sat on him. He did that, and yo, yes, it took a while. Everyone hates Ted Cruz. Sorry, like, but,
1: but he doesn't have no, any more.
3: No, no, not anymore. Now, more people, now, Hawley and Ron Johnson are competing to out Cruz Cruz. Yeah. You know, I mean, you and I don't like Ted Cruz, but he is more towards the center of the Republican Party in the Senate today than he was five years ago.
0: No, that's, yeah. Not, I mean, that's, that's, and more to the point, they're not stopping him. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a, um, there's just a, a sense in which Ted Cruz is allowed to be Ted Cruz. And Mike Nelson is, of course, allowed to be Mike Nelson as well, hey, which is <laughs> well, a much less bad thing than Ted Cruz being allowed to be Ted Cruz. Mike, the floor is yours.
4: Thank you. Changing topics. We've talked virus. We've talked disinformation. Let's talk about software, ah. and particularly the software can, can you get France supply chain,
1: because oh, the software I to, I supply chain, none of which is in France. Oh, sorry, not Cobalt. I guess that's oh, not no.
0: one element
4: of well, the code. the, the, the French are in, in the France. code. They're they're into they're into open source. There's lots of code being written by French programmers before they leave and go.
1: They they, they, and they look and look that is a brain drain right there. Every every single if you've I don't know I like I spent, well. Anyways, I just was really shocked.
0: I, I know so that. many great French tech people, none of whom are in France.
4: Yeah. So, what is the cloud Cloudflare and uh, one of the co founders was Canadian. So, she left Saskatchewan to go to Harvard Valley. and the Valley. But, my question, Paul, we're doing an event tomorrow about how governments can do more to make the software supply chain cleaner, more secure, more reliable. And my question is, is there any hope? Is there anything we can do to solve this problem which nobody seems to really understand or appreciate?
3: So, Ben, should I front run uh, your work? Our work? Uh,
0: my work? You, you Our work. wrote it, dude. Our work. Um, yes, absolutely. Give a Give
3: a little preview. Sure. So, Michael, the answer to your question is yes and no. There is nothing that one can do to be a hundred percent certain about the trustworthiness of software in a supply chain and it's reliability it's a it's it's functionality. However, the good news is that Ben and I have uh, with the assistance of a dozen it's or more it's like um,
0: 12 15
3: dozen scholars. or so other scholars spent the last year, Developing a framework for assessing software and hardware as well, because the frame, same framework uh, uh, applies. And literally this afternoon, I was putting edits into the near final version that you will get to see in a month or so, maybe yeah, after the new year. A weeks. Yeah. So here's 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 the framework for it. Um. There are really, basically three three parts to supply, software supply chain um, analysis, in my judgment, technical, corporate, and background law and policy areas. So the idea is that there are some things you can test for, but software is hard to test to 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 failure. So what you really have to rely on is axiomatic belief in the trustworthiness of a of a piece of software or hardware and that is derived from your understanding of the operations of the um company and the political and legal context in which the company arises i.e is it subject to chinese law or something like that though for our european friends the french who aren't here is it subject to american law um so we're going to have a big we're going to do that on one of these when we actually do that right ben
0: it is a significant paper I think it makes a genuine contribution. It was principally drafted by one Paul Rosenzweig, uh, as well as with with able (laughs) assistance from uh, the excellent young scholar Justin Sherman. uh, And it represents a pretty interesting and diverse collection of of uh, technical policy and uh, corporate governments oriented people. And uh, I think it is unusual. So um, we will, we are putting the final touches on it and we'll bring it out shortly. And we'll certainly have a show on it when we do. Uh, Meanwhile, Dr. Doom says I am full of shit and uh, need to be corrected about uh, French software development. So uh, Dr. Doom, uh, correct you, me, as we would say in, uh, as in French if we were uh, speaking French, which we're not.
4: I, I've come across lots of French uh, development uh, that's been very important. There's stuff at the So, there's things that have to do with uh, um, collaboration software and other things that go in there. I mean, I, they're, they're not consumer software in general. That's, that's true. But well, lots of Dr. Knowledge. Doom,
1: I'm curious, without googling, what do you think the greatest export of france is? Cheese? No
4: um, okay well, Don't, tell me
1: no, it's it's um it's uh aeronautics
4: Aeronautics and sure. okay.
1: yeah, right. and so well, it's Boeing okay. it's Airbus. Like, yeah well, it's uh it's aeronautics I, like I, I remember actually playing this game uh, driving along the what is the uh, what is the giant aqueduct that like oh no no yeah not the what's the giant aqueduct the romans built that was like et cetera like they a built a great... lot of
0: aqueducts no they, they bro- the, the one
1: that goes through france not sorry i didn't mean boeing i meant airbus yeah um anyways it's just to 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 dr doom's point it's actually like there is a lot of like i would say deep back end not front end like Deep cloud, like cloud, like deep infrastructure, kind of
4: software. Yeah, it's so, like so. I mean, that's that that yeah. would be part of the avionics. Can I can I make a but, comment but about the? But explain something stuff? to me, Doctor Doom. It, but but wait,
0: explain something to me. Every country has a certain amount of development. Um, there are areas, industrial, you know, heavy machinery is one of them where the French more than pull their weight. I don't think of software and high tech as an area that frankly either the french or the germans um pull their weight not because they don't produce the people but because we poach the people and they come here and my my question is when you think about a rough sense of the sort of powerhouses in in the tech world where is france in that
4: It's not, it's, it's true. I mean, a lot of the stuff is, is, is sort of firmware and machine, you know, machine code for devices and things like that. And it's true. You don't have platforms. Um, that's, I, I, I guess I would agree with that, that if you're, if you're thinking about extensible platforms that are, that are basically adopted by developers around the world, yeah, you, you could make the argument that that's not a big source of it. But as software is embedded in everything, I mean, literally embedded in everything, um, they're very, very significant development communities, vir- virtually anywhere that stuff is being made. Could I, can I make a comment about the, the, uh, the, the, the problem of security in uh, open source, and yeah. and the fact that a testing matrix is so just impossible given all of the, the stuff. Yeah. there. So, uh, you know, anonymity in, in certain political contexts, I, I think you can make an argument for and that, that there's value to it. But in the development of software, particularly ones that a lot of other people are going to uh, have to depend on, and the injection of the potential injection of stuff uh, that can have very subtle effects and can be very intentionally um, less than benign, I would argue that one of the things that should happen is that verified identification of anybody who's making a submission to these importing code bases in, a, in such a way that there is a, that there is a very, very strong um, ability to identify the, uh, the developers who submit so if in fact anything happens that some error which is determined to be intentional uh flows into these large open source things you can say this person did it this country yeah. did it
1: mf i'm with mf in the in the comments like i just i think that that's like a great idea but like this is a classic trade-off between like the benefits of anonymity and innovation and the then the with with against security and sure. um and and responsibility and like frankly like you're going to always have to do a little bit of yak shaving every time you get to some type of like really hard software problem that like I don't know I think even within companies there isn't a lack uh there is a huge even within companies and within industry I am Constantly shocked at how much wheels are reinvented um, in this, in like in software and firmware industries, uh, because there's no yeah, institutional but- history, and there's no, and people leave the company and they don't write up an exit strategy saying how they, why they changed the code and what the reason was or what they were thinking.
0: But I got, but I got to say, you know, as somebody who currently has on my plate a, a major development project and I have to decide whether you use an open source platform or a closed source platform to do it, the inability to do exactly what Dr. Doom says, which is to isolate who's making the contributions that produce security issues in the open source platform, is actually a factor that you think about. And, uh, and it goes to exactly the issue that Paul and I were we are talking about which is the trustworthiness of the system because you because although it is open source which is ostensibly a real security good it's actually totally unaccountable because you can't figure out where errors are coming from and it's a it's a very complicated interaction of the virtues and vices of the of the open source environment um we are gonna leave it there. Zut alors! Allora. Merci beaucoup like, for the invitation. You are a great American,
2: a, no, great am a great Costa Rican,
0: and a fabulous Frenchman. Um. Uh. uh and uh, I admire so deeply your commitment to the bit here. Um. There's just no <laughs> screwing around with this one. <laughs> Uh, Kate, it's the, uh, this has been the longest we have gone without a show since the beginning of the pandemic. It is lovely to see your face and hear your voice. It is
1: very strange to not talk to you multiple times a day. That's like a like I mean, it's kind of it's weird. We just do we do like by necessarily we talk for an hour every day.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to the nation of France, I have words. I'm gonna keep it brief. You guys let us down today. You baited us into the show and we had to put on a Quebecer and a fake Frenchman who's actually posing as a Costa Rican, but is actually a New York Jew. I mean, you know, there's like, um, you do better,
3: people. Do better, France. Um, so I'm uh, going to lay down a challenge now. Ambassador Renard, you must be here a week from today. You know, I have
0: invited uh, Deputy Ambassador Bonal and she says that she, as you will appreciate as a former yeah, she senior can't government official, she is a slave to her press office. And the press office has not approved her appearance on In Lue of Fun. Well, but and surely I wanted... she
3: can find somebody French speaking who lives in on the east coast of the United uh, States look, within an are, hour. We
0: are going to bring serious French people on the show it's a deficit we acknowledge it we have striven for diversity on the show with the exception of Camille Francois we have not had French people we're going to fix it we're going to do better and we will be back 22 hours and 57 minutes from now and until then KK
1: we're not allowed to have there's low-hanging fruit here Boy, what am I supposed to say? But we are allowed to have French people eventually?
0: That's <laughs> not <So> obvious. <laughs> like,
1: that was the joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to
0: go with, we're not allowed to have fun anymore. We're not even allowed to have French people. But, but
1: eventually we will. And I, I believe they will. exist. Just like Tinkerbell. Just like clap your hands.
0: Nation like. of France, do better. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: Bye, guys. Bye, Paul.